0: quite amazing has happened this evening in that um, Brian Eno was my support act, so I'm uh, (laughs) pretty amazed at that. Uh, (laughs) That's going to be the pinnacle of my life, I think. Uh, (laughs) So I'm delighted to be here this evening with you, um, and we're going to be looking at the transformation of something that's quite profound, and that's the understanding of ourselves. For the next 15 minutes or so, we're going to be exploring the so-called hard problem, and that's consciousness. So what exactly is consciousness? What is it for? How does it work? Why are we all here? These are questions that have plagued theologians and philosophers for centuries. And it's only really recently, in the last couple of decades, that neuroscientists have been able to join in the study. That's because there's been a revolution in technology that is allowing us to peer into the brain as never before. We can now see the very architecture of our minds. We can watch the engineering and operation of our brains as thoughts occur. We can see the zip of electricity as a new idea flashes into action in the brain. And we can also watch as new roads get built in our mind, as new junctions get constructed, that will lay down the foundations for our habits and our ingrained behavior later on. We're living really in the era of the brain and that is giving rise to this transformation in our understanding. And the results from the studies really give rise to lots of questions, lots of questions about what it really means to be human. And to kind of uh, introduce this amazing topic, something that has fascinated me for over a decade, I'd like you all to take part in a little experiment. I'm going to ask you to listen to this first file. Complete gobbledygook. Doesn't really make sense. I'm now going to ask you to listen to this second audio file, see if you can make sense of that the camel was kept in a cage at the zoo the camel was kept in a cage at the zoo the camel was kept in a cage at Poor the camel. zoo the camel was kept in a cage at the zoo if we now return to the original audio file and suddenly kept cage magically your brain has made sense of it and that's because, the ori- that was honestly the original audio file. That's because uh, the cadence of those two files were very similar. And your brain basically overlaid your prior experience of that gobbledygook sentence. No, the other way around. <laughs> your brain overlaid the sense of the sentence with a similar cadence, saying the camel was at the, kept in the cage of the zoo, onto the gobbledygook sentence. And it made assumptions and tried to make sense of that... Nonsense, and it did so. So if we return again to that gobbledygook sentence, you won't be able to not hear about this poor camel. The, ma- the majority of you probably didn't understand it in the first place. And this, is, um, this, this illusion is a, is a really neat example that gets to the very nuts and bolts of what it means to be conscious. So the topic of consciousness has been uh, debated for many, many, many years, but it's now generally uh, agreed that consciousness means... That, that we have an ability to learn from our environment and to form a subjective view of the world and we use our past experiences in order to direct us to make decisions for the present and for the future and this audio illusion really shows how your brain allows us to do that how all of our past experiences from our world goes to shape our reality today and in the future And this concept of consciousness is something that the um, famous philosopher Descartes was really interested in in the 17th century. And what he proposed was that this consciousness, this ability of ours to form this subjective view of the world, this ability of us to each hold a very unique and highly individual life based on our culmination of unique past experiences. This conscious ability of ours is some mystical quality. He called it a qualia. He accepted that there was this physical world out there. So, for example, the hard seat that you're sitting on, um, the world where mm, the sound waves from my mouth are reaching your fleshy ear. That's part of this physical, observable, quantifiable world. But there's this other world where your qualia, your consciousness, your subjective view of the world is formed. And what Descartes proposed was that this happened via this little worm-like structure in the middle of your brain called the pineal gland. And he thought that this worm kind of allowed information from the physical world to enter this non-real, erythral world that was your consciousness, And when you looked up to the sky, you closed off memories from your past and you were able to think in a clear way. When you looked down to the ground, you were consumed by your memories of the past and you could think deeply and focus on that. Neuroscience is now allowing us to really watch consciousness form in our brains and in our minds. And I'm going to um, I'm going to probably bore you with some uh, brain facts, uh, brain theory because um, I love it. Uh, <laughs> I love it. basically the brain is so awe-inspiring and mesmerising and so sophisticated that I think the only way that we can really get a handle on that, the only way that I personally can really appreciate it, is by thinking about it in terms of numbers. So your brain only weighs about two percent of your total body mass. So a very small percentage, yet it greedily consumes about 20% of your daily energy quota. So it's a greedy, hungry beast. And what is it in your brain, in your mind, that consumes all this energy? Well, it's the 86 billion or so nerve cells that live in your brain. 86 billion nerve cells. That's a huge number. It's a a number that's difficult to really comprehend. It's about 14 times the number of people on this planet, which, again, is a difficult number to comprehend. But if you took a little sample of your brain tissue the size of a sugar grain, it would contain about 10,000 of these beautiful nerve cells. And these nerve cells look like trees. So they've got a long cylindrical structure, which is like the trunk. And then extending out from that trunk, the axon, is branches like the root system of a tree. And then at the top of this axon is the cell body, the kind of director of this nerve cell. And then extending out from the, that cell body is the arborization the the tree-like branches. And each one of these amazing, beautiful 86 billion or so nerve cells that's in your mind connects to up to 10,000 other nerve cells to form the most complicated, intricate, mesmerizingly beautiful circuit imaginable. So there's about 90 trillion or so connections in your mind. Now, the way that we make sense of the physical world out there the seat that you're sitting on, the sound that's reaching your fleshy ear. The way that we process that information is by using these nerve cells that communicate with each other using the power of electricity. They pump sodium and potassium ions in and out of that long trunk-like tree structure of the axon. And that sends an electric signal whizzing at the speed of about 120 miles an hour up that axon to the end of the axon, where when it reaches the end, a chemical is released. And that chemical then activates the next nerve cell in the circuit so that that next nerve cell is then electrically active. So that is how your brain works. And so how can we learn and remember from our past experiences how, do these, how does this picture of the world, our story of our life, get formed within our mind? Well, it's, um, this was the subject of my PhD. Uh, it's via these incredible structures, which, again, I'm going to sound like I'm obsessed with worms here, I think, a little bit. There's these little structures called dendritic spines in your brain. And as you learn something new, as hopefully maybe something is uh, new, what I'm telling you, um, as you learn something new, a new connection forms. A little dendritic spine, kind of worm-like philopodia structure reaches out from one nerve cell to the next nerve cell to make a contact as you're learning something. As you then consolidate that learnt thing into a memory, then proteins get recruited so that the little worm-like kind of um, learnt connection becomes more engorged and bulbous so it gets it turns into the shape of a mushroom actually and it's called a mushroom dendritic spine and this is more of a memory spine and sleep actually consolidates that process of helping those mushroom spines form from the learned thing so this is happening all the time when you were listening to that audio file when you're listening to this now all of these little structures these circuits in your brain are moving and changing around and shifting so you've got this Highly dynamic, flexible circuit within your mind. And I mentioned earlier that the brain uses 20% of your daily energy quota. Um, In order for it to not blow a fuse, I mean, it's already using a huge amount of energy. It's already producing a huge amount of electricity. In order for it not to blow a fuse, to get overwhelmed by all the information from the outside world that's bombarding us through our senses, it has to overlook certain bits of information. It has to filter information but based on your prior experiences. So it takes shortcuts in its information processing and it uses the existing framework of reality, this existing circuit within your mind that's formed by these amazing dendritic spine uh, plastic structures to make assumptions about the world and the future. And that's basically what was happening with that file. So this really, I think, is kind of giving us some idea of how consciousness arises in the brain and it also gives us some clue as to why we can all um, have such very different perspectives on the world and why it can sometimes be very difficult to reach a consensus Uh, and I think that's maybe why what Jamie was talking about earlier that we need to listen to other people and learn from them you know, maybe we we can see other people as this other circuit, this amazing, mesmerizingly beautiful circuit. They've had different experiences in their life, but they've got something to to, sh- to share with you and to show you. And there have been some really interesting studies looking at how, you know, what's, what's, what's the point in consciousness? Well, if you think of the fact that we each have a very slightly impaired view of reality because we're seeing our current reality through the prism of our past events, then the only way of reaching a more accurate representation of the world is through communication and through taking on board other people's perspectives. Um, I'm aware that I've only got a couple of minutes left. Uh, but I just want to leave you with the point, the, uh, the, the question that, you know, humans have thought that we have this sovereignty over nature, that we're really special, that we're this amazing species. But actually, as neuroscientists look to other animals, as they look at what's going on in the, in the minds of other mammals, other insects, and even plants, uh, you can see that actually they exhibit some incredible cognitive skills. They can learn and remember just as we can. They can form their own subjective view of the world. They can plan for the future. Um, There's been some incredible results recently coming out on how plants, although they may not have a centralised brain like you and I have, their nervous system is spread across their very body. And that's kind of quite sensible because you wouldn't want your brain nibbled away by a rabbit. Uh, But they are able to learn from their environment and respond accordingly. And they can also communicate with each other in order to get uh, a more representative and accurate representation of the world. Um, I think also, uh, as we learn more about consciousness and as we try to emulate our underpinnings for consciousness in artificial intelligence using neural networks in our brain as inspiration for how we create the next artificial intelligence. I think we're about to walk into a quagmire of ethical questions about whether these systems will also have consciousness and in which case, what kind of rights should they have? And with that uh, kind of question ringing in your ears, I'd like, you, I'd like to leave you with uh, an audio file of... Um, a rat being tickled. This rat has learned to associate uh, its carer's hand coming over to tickle it, and so it will, it's made the association that if this particular person comes over to, with its hand like that, it will immediately respond by giggling away, uh, which is really quite nice, isn't it? And maybe that's the point of consciousness, so have a listen to this. It's been transduced so that you can hear it. That's not actually the sound bit. <laughs>